Welcome back to Opera Off Stage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And welcome back. Today we are going to be doing just a little bit of a opera news roundup for the month of February. There were a couple stories we missed in our January <laughs> wrap-up of the entire last year. No surprise. So we're going to hit some of the stuff that's been happening at the start of this year and maybe talk a little bit about some season announcements. I know, it's that exciting time of the year where everybody's releasing their seasons. You're on high alert to kind of see what's coming out this year. And so far, I feel actually pretty good about overall seasons coming out. There's some interesting works in the mix. There were some surprises, and I'm excited to talk about it. But first, we should give you guys just a couple of announcements. We've got our first opera watch party of the year coming up on Friday, March 10th. Woohoo! But first... We need to decide what we are watching. So we had a vote already go through our Discord about the genre that we would like to be watching. At the time of this recording, it was tied between an actual opera and a comedy. So we tie broke. We're going to watch a comedy. We've got, for (laughs) your choosing, Raise Your Voice, the infamous Hilary Duff (laughs) music movie with quite the scene, the infamous... The infamous metronome scene. So I personally, was my kind of my favorite. School of Rock, a classic. And That's honestly, it's such an uplifting <laughs> movie if you're a musician. Love Jack Black so much. So funny and so wholesome. Absolutely. And then we've got Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which I have not seen, which stars Daniel Radcliffe and what I'm sure is incredible. And then, of course, how could we leave it out? Mamma Mia. Oh, a classic for all of our ABBA girlies. (laughs) ABBA has had such a major comeback. And I straight up told my mom, I was like, you know, I don't understand why they didn't get kudos to Rihanna. But (laughs) I think they should bring back ABBA for a Super Bowl halftime show. (gasps) Jesse, that is such a good idea. (gasps) Like ABBA is huge on TikTok. Absolutely will bring in younger people. And then, of course, most of our parents know ABBA. (laughs) from growing up and so i feel like it's the perfect group it really is like anytime the song gimme 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 comes on connor and i like drop everything and instantly just start like dorking out and dancing it's so good fernando oh my gosh take a chance on me oh Oh my gosh like nothing but bangers yeah so anyway if you want to be a part of choosing (laughs) what movie we're gonna be watching Hop onto our Discord. The link's in our bio on our Instagram. I'll also put it in the bio of the episode. Click on that little guy. Join up with us. And you can find it under announcements. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Really interested to see what everybody's feeling. Jesse and I have our votes. But, you know, we'll go with whatever everybody wants to watch the most. So... It's super exciting to be coming back with another opera watch party. Typically, for those of you who haven't joined, we do normally watch actual operas, but we've kind of opened it up to other categories of, you know, things about musicians, comedies, things related to music. And so I think it'll be a fun way to spice it up. So we're really looking forward to it. And then next on our docket is you guys are hearing this first. We're not going to announce this on any socials for probably another week. But as you may have noticed, today's episode is our 98th episode, which means our 100th episode, our three-year anniversary is fast approaching. So what we're going to be doing to celebrate is doing a big old giveaway. And we're so, so, so excited. So you're listening to it first. We're going to give away a download of our performance resume. We're going to have a bound and printed 
copy of our role study workbook. We're going to be designing our own sticker pack, which is going to be really fun. We're going to be throwing in a nice water bottle, keychain, some nice pens and highlighters. So kind of like a little singer goodie bag with a lot of like first time ever release, like tangible opera offstage merch. So I don't even know if we're really going to be releasing this to the public outside of this giveaway for a while. So if you're interested in getting that, we'll be posting pictures and announcing it all next week. So we're super, super excited about that. Very fun. And if you saw me accidentally type in 98 for last week's episode, no, you didn't. I fixed it and you have no proof. (laughs) Sometimes I mess up my numbering. All right. Love it. So as just a fun little personal update. I I have been doing my job interviews. My <laughs> and my goodness have every time you go through a round of job interviews, it is like the most insane thing ever. First of all, I've realized that I have to redo my entire resume eventually because it's not readable for algorithms, which is so sad because my resume is cute. That is sad. Your resume is cute. It's made for people to look at. But I've realized that computers can't read it and a lot of these places are using like an algorithm to pick out your qualifications. (laughs) So that's a heads up for anybody. But also, I've been bartending for a long time now, and I have three years of experience under my belt, which is enough to have some bargaining room in what job I will or won't take. And I'm a very straightforward and honest person. So I told one of my interviews that I was still taking other interviews, and I was planning on making a decision at the end of the week. And... They said, absolutely not. This man told me, he was like, I just don't feel like you're serious. And I, you know, I really want a candidate who's dedicated to this place. And I'm, you know, I don't want to want you for the job and then have you turn me down. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, I guess we just won't proceed to the next stage. Thank you very much. (laughs) It was super awkward. And just so you know, this isn't like some crazy good restaurant. This is a restaurant that's literally in a mall here. It's a nice restaurant, but it's not such a big step up that it's like insane to turn down the offer. (gasps) Yeah. How dare you be taking multiple job interviews and not be dedicated to the random restaurant in the mall? Yeah, this kind of thing, like, also, I feel like sometimes happens with young artist programs where they're like, oh, I got accepted to this and this. Can I negotiate my contract? And they're like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you want to have options and have a career? That is ludicrous. And you're like, is it, though? (laughs) It's such a nice thing, though, because it's like inherently a red flag of what it would have been like to work there. Like the idea that I could be thinking about working anywhere else is insane. Yeah. No, honestly, good good on them to show their cards straight up. <laughs> I also talked about this podcast in my interview yesterday, which, by the way, got offered a job for that one. And they were fine with the fact that I had another interview that I wanted to go through with. Green, Look at that. Green flag. But they asked me, like, what do you do in your free time? I was like, oh, I run a classical music podcast and we talk about, you know, classical music and we give advice for musicians. I was like, and then we talk about a lot of stuff that's just kind of funny about classical music, like the perception of. And since I don't know what this person knows or doesn't know about classical music, I was like, yeah. So like, you know, Mozart is one of the most famous composers of all time. He's like a very common frame of reference in popular culture. I was like, but Mozart is just like everyone else. I was like, you know what Mozart loved? Butts. Sure did. He did. He was obsessed. I left out the other half of that conversation because it's not appropriate for a job interview but she gave me i got such a look and i was like he's part of a long line of musicians who are passionate about ass and <laughs> i st- 
still got that job. So nice. Yeah. But anyway, all that is to say is job interviews are crazy. And if everybody else is in the job market right now, I totally feel you. I didn't realize that the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice is a comfort movie for me. But this week I have watched it like two or three times. Amazing. We need a Pride and Prejudice opera, but that's a conversation for another time. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of operas to see, should we jump into talking about seasons? Season oh, announcements? So first up. I would like to say that I was surprised and very happily by the Mets announcement for their season. I was very hard on them in my predictions for the year. I said I expected one new show and maybe a couple 20th century pieces. And you know what? They blew me out of the water. Now, there is only one brand new show premiering, but there are a couple shows that are getting their first show at the Met. So first up, let's talk about the new new show which is Anthony Davis's X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X. Sounds like it's going to be incredible. I'm super excited that they're continuing to put Black artists at the forefront of their work right now and premiering more and more shows. So very exciting. Super exciting. Yeah, what a but cool premiere. Also super exciting, Daniel Catan's Florencia en el Amazonas. Oh, I'm the so excited. I'm first so Spanish excited. opera in 100 years to show at the Met. I'm so excited. I can't wait. <laughs> and that one's going to be on Met HD. So I was telling Michelle, I was like, we should just go to New York. But we actually might be getting together to go to a theater to see it, which is so exciting. I'm really happy that they're going to Met HD that one. And they're also going to do a Met HD of Jake Hegge's Dead Man Walking. Oh, um, This one so made me laugh good. because everything by Jake Hegge is so good. So the idea that Dead Man Walking hasn't been at the Met didn't even occur to me. Like, I would assume, like, it would have been there, like, a year after it premiered because it's so good. I know. That was something that was surprising to me, too. I feel like Dead Man Walking is such a core piece of, like, newer opera. It's not done often. So I also assumed that the Met had did it. So it's very interesting. I'm sure that's going to be a really good production. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And, I, and you know, it continues my ongoing desire to tell Jake Heggie, please, I know... I'm so happy that mezzos are getting their time in the sun with your shows, but please write for Sopranos. I love your music. <laughs> Even just a small role. Give us like a little something. Throw us a bone, Jake. <laughs> I I want to be the only pants role in Moby Dick so badly. I love mm-hmm. that show. Anyway, the other premiere this year is John Adams' El Nino, which is not in Spanish, despite its title, which is hilarious because we were just talking in our other episode about how there aren't a lot of operas where Jesus is a character and this is a nativity opera. I've never heard of it, but it sounds interesting. It's from 2000. Excited to find out. I had heard of El Nino, but I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea that it was like a religious work or about a religious topic. And so, yeah, I'm curious to to look into that one more but obviously they've done a couple of adam's works so it'll be cool to add another one to the list oh yeah well and i'll say this so those are our four met premieres and you know one is obviously a brand new work and two of them are technically 21st century pieces they premiered in 2000 and then florencia is from 1996 so they're all reasonably recent but they're also bringing back uh fire shut up in my bones for another year. Nice. And yeah, yeah. The Hours by Kevin Putz, which I didn't realize, but may end up in one of our watch party rotations. The Hours is based on a book, which is also adapted into a movie with 
Meryl Streep and Julianne Moore and one more person who I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but we might watch the movie for that. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So we can catch the vibe because I don't remember hearing much about the hours. So I'm excited to learn more about it this year. But yeah, we've got three works that were made after 2020, which is super exciting. We've got two 21st century works and then a couple, a lot of actually 20th century works. I was very surprised. And this is a major turnaround to me for the Met. I'm always cautiously optimistic with them, but I'm actually super pleased. I can't even hide it. And I also didn't see them bringing back Anna Netrebko, which is personally nice for me because I think it would have been weird after all the things that have happened to just turn around and act like nothing had. So, Mm -hmm. but the Met is always not completely without sin. In our classics category that they're going through this year, we've got Romeo and Juliet, Orfeo and Eurydice, Magic Flute, Tannhäuser, Turndo, La Rondine, which I actually kind of like. La Rondine doesn't get put on much, in my opinion. I don't see it around much, but it's got some really cute stuff in it. La Boheme, uh, Nabucco, Requiem, La Forza del Destino, Un Balo en Mascara, Carmen. Pretty normal lineup. Here's my thing. So let's hit Puccini. Oh, I didn't even put it on here, but they have Madame Butterfly. So in 2024, they're going to be doing Madame Butterfly and Turndo back to back. And I looked at the casting. So... There's a very distinct lack of representation in the casting for Chocho-san and a lot of the cast of Turindo. I'm always just so surprised by this because it's like there is no lack of incredible Asian singers or Asian American singers. I'm not sure why it's so hard i'm just surprised by that that i feel like madam butterfly especially is one that's always just not properly cast which is i mean i know the role of butterfly is like a very specific voice but i mean to not find somebody to sing the role yeah to say that there's no asian american woman who could sing madam butterfly is insane that's just patently untrue yeah absolutely And the other thing that's like, you know, in Aida, we've all kind of come to an agreement that like it's acceptable for people to do the role as long as they're not using race altering makeup and hair. I don't know that that's necessarily true, especially for Madam Butterfly because of the content of the story. Yeah. Because it's very specifically about a time in history and very much the cultural elements. I mean, that doesn't necessarily not apply to Aida either. I don't know. I have a bad feeling about this, <laughs> so I'm going to say I have a feeling that this is going to get very bad very quickly. And it's weird to me that in the presence of uplifting so many really great artists that they wouldn't be more cautious about their choices to put on these shows that have some inherent exoticism and major issues in casting. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I look forward to seeing what they're going to do with it. I hope that they have taken all of that into consideration, especially with the castings and how they approach these shows. But only time will tell. No, totally. Overall, I am like pleased with the Met and their season. We'll see how some of their (laughs) operas play out. But I think I acknowledge the fact that the Met is taking baby steps forward in the right direction. It's annoying that all of their baby steps are kind of like backtracked in the same season but i feel like we got to appreciate the small amount of effort uh that's going in so turning over to the other coast here at la opera i'm like overall pretty excited about their season nothing like mind shattering per se but we're starting off with don giovanni which you 
freaking bet I will be going to go see because that's my fave opera. And then they have Barber of Seville. They have a concert version of Rodolinda. And then they have some cool recitals this this round. They have a recital for Audra McDonald, which I think will be really cool. They have another recital for Patti Lapone, which will be also really interesting. And then, of course, they always close their season every year with a recital by Renee Fleming, which is always worth seeing. I'm kind of excited. We went and saw their recital with Juan Diego Flores a couple months ago and just, oh, chef's kiss. Just so freaking good. So they always do a really good job with their recitals and they always have really interesting programming. So I'm excited about that. And then some of their newer works, they're going to be doing Frida and Diego, which is cool. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that opera, but have never listened to it or seen it. So I'm really excited to go and see that one. They're also going to be doing a double billing of two 20th century operas that have kind of been historically neglected and censored. Highway 1 USA by William Grant Still. And then the other one is called The Dwarf. And I'm just like really interested to kind of see because not only have I not heard of them i like don't know anything about them that's funny because the dwarf is the one that he wrote after alma broke up with him well not broke up with him expressed that she wasn't interested things are full circle over here but yeah i'm interested i think that those will be cool and then they have a concert work of thompson's fire and blue sky and uh, traviata and Turandal. so kind of an interesting season some cool things and then some like beloved classics which i think tends to be la opera's general season with a couple cool recitals you know thrown in there so it's a wild year though for la because oh my god don't even get into it (laughs) we'll get into it later i'm still in mourning (laughs) she's still dealing we'll get there yeah connor and i had such a long conversation about this last night and i'm just beside myself But anyways, yeah, let us know if there are any other seasons that you want to cover. This is kind of just like the big news that came out as we're recording this episode. I'm sure we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty of other seasons as they become announced. And yeah, I'm just uh, overall, I'm feeling like really good. I feel like we're embracing newer works in a really cool way. I'll be really interested to see, since we've got a couple productions of Turando and Madam Butterfly coming out in 2023, I remind everyone. I'll be curious as to how they handle it, because I think there are appropriate ways to put on those shows. I'm not confident in how they're going to be handled, so, but I want to live in cautious hope and not absolute pessimism, (laughs) so. I have more hope for a company like LA Opera to do it right than the Met. Yeah. But you never know. Well, Well, since I've already seen the Mets casting, I'm very (laughs) concerned. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I guess the thing that gets me is like for Madam Butterfly for the Met, they have three different sopranos and absolutely zero of them are not only not Japanese, but they're not Asian in the slightest. Yep. So um, anyways, let's keep this, this ball rolling. <laughs> so going. outside of our kind of interesting things going on in seasons being announced, There's also like a really wild thing going on with Central City Opera versus Agma, which is just like a really interesting thing. And we have to definitely pay credit to a friend of the podcast, James B. Mowdy, who kind of turned us on to what was going on because he had DM'd us after our gossip episode and was like, hey, you guys need to shine a light on this because nobody's talking about it. And he's 100% right. And it's this big issue, generally speaking, versus... CCO and AGMA, where a lot of money, I mean, around like $12,000 has been kept 
from being paid to a group of mostly apprenticed artists who are kind of early in their career. And there's this back and forth where it kind of all started like under the hood in November where Agma was like, listen, we can handle this just between us. But if you don't, then it's very possible that things will go public. And that's kind of where we have spiraled into. And the gist of it is, I guess, the argument that Central City Opera is trying to fight, which is just so backwards, is that all of that money and all of that work they felt filed into something that wasn't covered by CCO because it wasn't in their like main stage. All of this work kind of took place off property, so to speak, even though it's all under CCO. And that's why they're like, well, you know, it's not part, it's basically not a part of like our contract, that work. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like 12K is like a huge amount of money to not pay. I mean, obviously you don't want to like never undercut your artists ever, but like we're not talking about, oh, each artist like lost out on like 100 or 200, even $500. We're talking about like a total of 12K, which is a huge amount of money, especially for young artists. Well, also it shows a general lack of good faith, you Mm -hmm. know? To say like, oh, well, this wasn't covered under these. And that clearly wasn't explained to those artists so that they could make an informed decision about whether or not they were willing to take a non-AGMA, you know, covered contract or for a performance. Ultimately, just because maybe legally it doesn't fall under this category, but they obviously knew that it was not being conveyed to their artists. And that's bad faith. It's totally bad faith. And CCO has kind of been under some pretty intense fire for alleged body shaming, sexual harassment, a lot of issues with people, you know, trying to unionize and use their union rights and and being shut down or threatened. And Opera Innovation writes that kind of since their new president and executive director, Pamela A. Pantos, who just arrived in February of 2022, only 10 full-time staff members have left the company since she arrived. And a lot of it has to do with instances of sexual harassment, public body shaming and master classes as well as just like illegal threats of retaliation for agma and its union activities and this was something with that was interesting because i feel like i had heard about this and then kind of was like just kind of glossed over it but they had pretty lax covid safety policies in their 2022 summer season and it allegedly led to 40 infections which is why they shut down their fleeter mouse production which is bad that's just bad management. 40 infections is like a full-on outbreak. There's yeah. no, oops, it spread. Five people got to stay home. That 40 people is significant. Yeah, that's a refusal to shut down early. Because once you have one or two people, like everybody needs to stop being around each other until you figure out who's going to get infected and not. Um, I guess the other thing that's like big about this story is also that Central City tends to do pretty well for themselves. Like This is reporting from 2021, but... Like they were pretty close to hitting their twenty million fundraising goal for their endowment. They do turn a small profit most years, it seems. Over a hundred thousand dollars. I think it was a hundred and sixty two thousand in twenty twenty one. And, you know, apparently some family donated a large amount to their endowment. There's a good point made in Opera Innovation that why couldn't any of that been used to properly pay their artists? What is the point if it does not actually help fund better work. Yeah. I want to read this from their article because I think it really kind of perfectly summarizes the opinion of many people on this issue. 
and Opera Innovation writes, Our opinion is this. When apprentice program companies appear to mistreat young and less experienced artists who often don't have management, they do the industry a disservice. Top-down disrespect is established, which could easily taint, diminish, or ruin the next generation's careers. These companies have a corporate responsibility to train their apprentices to be the highest degree of their professional ability, modeling the highest professional standards for their apprentices. And yeah, I mean, like, you can't be a giant opera company who's always net positive (laughs) every season and not pay your least experienced artists. And I feel like trying to be like, well, you know, it was excluded in our things that are covered in our contract. Like Agma has gone back and been like, no, our contract's pretty clear. This this is just BS. Yeah. And it's also kind of like as much as 12K is a big amount of money in the grand scheme of things for a big company, it's not. I just don't know. It's not like they like owe 500,000. And it's, well, we don't want to play that. It's like, it's 12K. Like, I'm sure that's somewhere in the budget. (laughs) I'm sure. uh, It's just really frustrating. And it kind of sounds like a lot of things have kind of come since this new president and executive director has stepped on the scene. Because I would agree with you. I think in 2020 and 2021, CCO was kind of like pretty productive. They were kind of one of the companies that was doing like kind of better than many And so it's really interesting to kind of see it it kind of tank in public perception and the way that they're treating their artists. I mean, I don't envy anybody who's trying to go up against Agma. That's that's a real bad position to be in. So very interesting. A lot of people have continued to speak out about it. And I think it's starting to get a lot more press. But I just never understand why these kind of situations aren't just handled quietly like Agma had wanted to. And now, I mean... I guess on one hand, it's good because it kind of really lifts up the hood and allows everybody to kind of see the ugly things that are happening with big companies. But it's like, just handle it. Just be a business. Well, here's the other thing. They were supposed to re-meet at the bargaining table back in January. I haven't seen any news about it since. I did look. So if anybody has updated information, I would love to know. But Central City Opera also has like the most condescending page up on their website about this. It's called Facts About Our Ongoing Collective Bargaining Negotiations. And the only sentence I really need to read to you is, We're disappointed by unfounded assertions being made by some AGMA leaders and members, some of whom have never performed or been employed by CCO. Do you have to be employed by CCO to know that something is wrong? (laughs) Like The whole point of having AGMA is that they negotiate on our behalf yeah so i don't particularly care if they've ever been employed by you in fact i think it's probably best in the negotiations that they don't work for you exactly conflict of interest but yeah they're like the titles of each section i'm not gonna read all of it is we've championed artists and the arts for 90 years we equitably compensate artists and staff we're advocates for young artists we're committed to diversity equity and inclusion and we don't tolerate harassment or discrimination well your artists say you do So there's a problem there. And to just simply call everyone a liar when there's clearly multiple people who have come forward to discuss this and you're in conversation with, you know, the union, there's an issue there. And to simply say, no, we didn't, uh uh-uh, is not good enough. Wild. But anyway, shout out to JBM for bringing this to our attention and writing such a beautiful, succinct article about it. The allegations are very serious. I look forward to hearing what the resolution is, but 
that's quite quite the blow to a pretty major young artist program. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been a trend. I think, you know, CCO has been around since 1936. And there have been a lot of really great periods of time with CCO where they have been a great company. And I think that they've kind of taken a turn in this last year or so. And I just don't think that you can say, well, we've always been good. If you're not being good presently, (laughs) you kind of you kind of can't use that as an excuse anymore. You got to look at what's happening right now, not the history of the company. And so it's kind of like, if you are what you say you are, then just act that way. Just close the dispute and do what you need to do to, I, I don't know. The whole thing is very complicated. The article from Opera Innovation will be linked in our show notes. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this continues to progress. So let's go on to something maybe a little more lighthearted. I've got some... At least one very fun musical theater news piece, which is, did you guys see the opening of the BAFTAs? So, Ariana DeBose is a fantastic performer. She was in the most recent West Side Story as Anita. She won multiple awards for that. She's been on Broadway for a long time. She's a great singer. Her opening number for the BAFTAs was absolutely insane. It was like an educational rap gone wrong People were dying because one of the lines, it was Angela Bassett did the thing. And I, it's a phrase that works, but it does not work the way it was sung. But I'll put in a small snippet of it here so you can kind of get the vibe. So you can hear the Angela Bassett part that everyone's been talking about. All the ladies in the room, supporting and leading, all here I presume. Home child, Dolly D. Carrie and Carrie with the C. Day Mama, I'm so fond. And a girl, you were great and blonde. Daniel D, you broke my heart. Michelle, I've loved you from the start. Angela Bassett did the thing. Viola Davis, my woman king. Blanche Kate, you're a genius. And Jamie Lee, you are all of us. Anyway, and it sounds like she just forgot what Angela Bassett did this year, as opposed to, oh, you did the thing. Like, the actual phrase. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Gosh. you should go watch it. It's one minute long. It is painful to watch to be honest. <laughs> and immediately after uh, this happened, everyone was talking about it, especially the line about Angela Bassett and people were, but you know what? Originally, Ariana DeBose left all of her social media accounts. Like absolutely just <laughs> shut everything down. And I, I can't blame her for that because I can't imagine anything more painful than getting to perform for all these people, all these iconic actors and actresses and, you know, singing the song that to you is iconic of look at all these amazing, unbelievable women and having people laugh. That's very, very difficult. Oh, yeah. You know, when you have to do the like full social media exodus that it's bad. (laughs) Media writers for like national publications need to understand the internet a little bit better because a lot of people were like, she's being canceled or they're using some form of that language. I was like, that's not it at all. They're not canceling her. They're not doing anything to her. All they're doing is saying this was very funny and it became a meme. It's just a joke. Nobody's saying she can't perform or she's not a good singer. Like it's just the memification of a funny moment, a very camp moment, if you will. And it seems to have turned around, which is great. So Ariana DeBose now is talking about how she's got an upcoming London gig and she was on the radio and she was saying that she might redo the song there to open the show. Oh, Good redemption. Which is great because the only thing you can do as performers on the internet in the internet age, you have to understand like there's just some stuff you're going to do one day and 
it's going to be permanently memed. It happens. There's no way to escape that stuff. I can't tell you how many videos of opera singers I've, you know, I've listened to the Pavarotti voice crack. You can't escape it. I've seen the like absolutely devastating video where Bernstein is conducting West Side Story and who's the tenor? Carreras. Cannot for the life of him time this out. And it's like an immensely stressful video. But stuff like that will be out there. Like yeah. I said, you can't escape embarrassing yourself on the Internet. The only thing to do is to own it and to ride the wave and be in on the joke. And that's really hard. And But I'm glad that she's come around to it because it's actually a very funny thing. And I hope she just I hope she does it on SNL. I hope she has a good time with it. But it's definitely em- entered the meme zone. Like I said, you just have to see it to know. And even Angela Bassett has embraced the joke of it all. She said, I guess I did the thing when she was accepting an award. (laughs) Oh. Now to some more musical theater news. On a more serious note, there were neo-Nazis out on Broadway for the premiere of Parade. Jesus. Yeah, an actual nightmare. So there were neo-Nazis on Broadway for the premiere of Parade which is starring Ben Platt. If you don't know what Parade is about, it is the story of the lynching of a Jewish man and his wrongful conviction for murder. And there's a lot that goes into that story, but it's very scary to see neo-Nazis very comfortably standing outside a show on Broadway. They were yelling that, oh, you're you know paying $300 to praise a pedophile, which was an accusation that was levied against the man who was falsely convicted of murder. And they were handing out pamphlets. I want to say kudos to the audience in the videos I saw of it. Because the audience was absolutely, like, they were standing in line to get into the show. And they were not giving these people anything. They weren't looking at them. They weren't interacting. They weren't yelling. They just ignored them. And I think that's a very powerful move. It also matters, too, because I know there was some interaction with Funny Girl as well. It is terrifying to see... Very comfortable Nazis in public. Horrifying. Generally. That horrifying. Truly, they, I mean, they're not even pretending. Like, they, they call themselves, like, the National Socialist Party, which is where the name Nazi originally comes from. It is a dark hour, and it is something that we are going to have to continually fight against. I don't have easy answers, <laughs> you know? I think, truly, the people in that line were correct. I don't think you interact. I don't think you give nazis anything to work with i think the best thing you can do in that situation is you know and it sucks because i mean the reality is the right to freedom of speech allows those people to pull off that protest as disgusting and inhumane as it is yeah all we can do is continue to proudly support works of art that push back against you know the parade is just about a super well-known jewish hate crime that's the what its story is the story of a man who was wrongly convicted was going to be set free and then was murdered and all we can do is keep telling stories and keep supporting people who are telling hard stories and a lot of those artists from those shows came out and said if you aren't being protested by neo-nazis are you really making art which i thought was very funny and very sweet (laughs) way to respond to an immensely difficult moment and all of those people have shown immense grace in dealing with something that is impossibly difficult and to think that there are Nazis outside your show when obviously these casts are Jewish. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Keep making art. Do not kowtow to stupid bullies who wear masks to hide their faces, who cannot stand behind their beliefs publicly because they know that they're wrong. 
I think the saving grace in this moment is that it is in these moments of like intense ideological strife when we see the rise of fascism and things like that returning. That is when art matters most to refuse to stand down against forces that would try and censor your art. Yeah. And I want to end on another big piece of news that everybody has been talking about, which breaks my heart. <laughs> Michelle's personal frustration. Which is our beloved Gustavo Dudamel is leaving LA Phil and moving to New York Phil, which I have to say, in the grand scheme of things, it makes sense. You know, get it. Am I happy about it? Not at all. <laughs> I was so, and I feel like that's the sentiment, obviously, with everybody in LA. But it's kind of interesting because I feel like even people outside of LA who just are familiar with him and the things that he's accomplished with LA Phil, I feel like everybody is just kind of like, really? You're leaving? It's just the perfect environment for him to really be able to do what he wants as a conductor. And obviously, he's succeeded at it for so many years. So it's definitely a big hit to us in LA. But as I was kind of reading different articles, you know, everybody has their side. So whether you read the LA Times or the New York Times, they all have their own take. Obviously, everybody in New York is thrilled, as they should be. But it's I did get a really, really good chuckle out of the LA Times who wrote Gustavo Dudamel, the celebrated conductor who led the Los Angeles Philharmonic to prominence as the nation's most important orchestra. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> He will leave L.A. to join the New York Phil in 2026, which I think, isn't it actually 2025? Or no, he's leaving 2025, joining New York 2026. I love that they're like, he will be downgrading to the New York Phil in 2026. Something about it, like, makes me laugh. I mean, not to, like, question how great the L.A. Phil is, but something about L.A. Times writing the Los Angeles Philharmonic to prominence as the nation's most important orchestra. Like, not best orchestra, but just most important, whatever that means. <laughs> that gave me, like, a really, really good chuckle. But, I mean, you know, he's been at LA Opera, what, for, like, 17 years? So he's done amazing things, no doubt. He has just, like, a wonderful, wonderful sense of not only musicianship, but he's just a fantastic programmer. And I think the things that he's put on during his kind of tenure here have been amazing. And I think the thing that everybody feels is he's just so L.A. And something that Connor and I were talking about is like Gustavo has managed to like many great conductors has been able to kind of like lift himself out of just being prominent in the music world. And now is like of cultural and social prominence in L.A. Like when you go down Grand Ave by like the Disney concert hall and LA opera <laughs> Dudamel's face is like on all of the posters like a whole line the whole street is lined with those like little like posters that hang off of street lamps like he's everywhere like he's on podcasts he's on tv shows he's on you know what I mean like he's just so tied to LA and even if you've never been to the LA Phil if you've lived in LA you've probably seen him perform at the Hollywood Bowl and it's like He's just so ingrained with L.A. culture and just like the L.A. music scene that it really kind of feels unfathomable, even if it is predictable. Yeah. And I mean, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to travel from California, from LAX to Paris either. Like yeah, that JFK <laughs> to Paris makes way more sense. And he's been there for 17 years. So I totally understand he's looking for 
the next step. Like I said, conceptually, totally get it, respect it. I think it's a good idea. But oh my god, I saw it. I can't get over it. <laughs> Person personally, I'm hurt and I feel abandoned. Well, um. <laughs> let me just tell you that two days ago, the LA Phil's like 2023-2024 season went on, and Connor and I are going to get a season package. <laughs> Yay! Be <laughs> because so we're we have to see as much as we can while he's still here, and it will just. Let me just say that Dudamel was relatively young when he stepped foot into the LA Phil. And I think people, I mean, not to say that he didn't already have a successful career before it, but I think that there was, he was met with some skepticism because he was on the younger side. And obviously he's done amazing things, but I do not envy whoever will follow and replace him because. No, I mean, huge legacy in terms of like opening things up for young musicians, you know, their programs for the city were amazing, uh, you know. It's, and I don't know yeah. if those pre-existed, but I know how involved he was. <laughs> yeah, I am like shaking in my boots for whoever fills those shoes because not to say that L.A. won't welcome them, especially with time. But I think it's going to be a hard transition. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny on whoever follows just because of our love for Dudamel. So I'm beside myself crying myself to sleep, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So man, oh, man. There have been a lot of kind of things that have been on the dock and happening in the opera world. So thanks for hanging in there with us. Let us know if you enjoy these kind of opera news roundup. I know for me, when I'm scrolling through Instagram or reading through different articles, like sometimes things I read them and then they just like they're gone, you know, and so sometimes I don't have the opportunity to fully soak in everything that's going on in this crazy industry that we're part of. So we like to kind of bring awareness and do these roundups. So if you like them, let us know. Don't forget about our opera watch party to vote on those coming up on Friday, March 10th. Grab some popcorn and some candy and join us for that and make sure to vote on which opera you want to see. And then don't forget about that very spicy three-year giveaway we're going to be doing in a couple weeks. So lots to look forward to, lots of exciting stuff happening, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.